Well, you're listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. On the last Filthy Armenian Adventure, I was talking to author David Thompson about all things Western and Noir, about Red Rivers and Robert Chinatowns, Clifts and Waynes, Cathars, Chandlers and Elroys, about Suspects and Gold Mines, and Silver Light. I think it ended as I lost my train of thought and our conversation began to veer into screwball territory. The territory of Connecticut, the final novel in David's trilogy, which is coming out in October. In this episode, that conversation continues. Pleasure-wise, talking about movies is a lot like going for a swim. Why is swimming so much fun? Because our bodies are made of water. Nobody says, hey, let's go on vacation somewhere we can jog. Nobody says, well, that shareholder's meeting sure went joggingly. Our bodies are made of water, similar to how our minds are made of movie. Little pieces of movies that float in our heads. And wading through those pieces brings us peace from the war with gravity that is life. We rollick and frolic in movie talk, especially with people we love. We still court at the movies, just as sure as we honeymoon at the beach. We float, we splash, we catapult, we dive in movie talk. We dream like a team. We exercise every muscle and don't notice how tired we are until we're back on shore. No doubt there are certain dangers to this recreation. Spend too long in the water and your bones get brittle. We can get carried away. Maybe try a little too hard to get some lifeguard's attention. Maybe get snagged by the wrong current and go off the deep end. The waters are controlled by the moon, or so I hear. And not just the waters. The moon might also have a say in the state of our minds. At least that's what the lunatics believe. Right now, I'm at a perfect place to yell at the moon, as in that line from Red River I'm so fond of. It gets so quiet here at night, you can hear the lights turn green. Don't think too loud, the moon might overhear you. Not to mention the stars. I can see all the stars from where I'm standing right now. This is the only place I see more stars looking up than I do back home on the boulevard looking down. Where am I, you ask? Pretty much where the Wild West hits its peak. I'm somewhere between Convict Lake and Cloud Nine, 
between seventh heaven and the devil's postpile. I'm here in hiding. Apparently, after my conversation with David Thompson, word's been getting around that I might be loony. Cuckoo, off my rocker. Bananas foster with a side of nuts. Tootie to the fruity, unhinged, cracked. A few deuces short of a deck. There's a storm, and it's raining my marbles. Wouldn't be the first time authorities thought I might have a problem of this kind. Ask the vice dean of health where I went to college. David and I, and a special guest who joins midway through... We were just trying to appreciate the world of screwball comedy. It's a magical world, a utopian world. A world where nobody resents being a punchline. A world where sex is conducted in words. Now, a lot of people might hear that and think, gee, that sounds interesting, but you know what would be really sexy? Is if sex were conducted with body parts. How about a world where that happens? Well, first of all, calm down. You gotta take what you can get these days. Buggers can't be choosers. You can't only look at half the story. Look at it the other way around. A world where sex is verbal is a world where all communication between men and women, and women and women, and men and men, is an act of romance. And who needs post-nut clarity when everyone's a nut? Anyway, I don't know who reported me, but try to keep this episode between us. We cover lots of movie territory, as last time. But this part of the conversation gets a little personal. It's all about the importance of insanity, and of composition, and of the secret to avoiding the death of cinema, and the death of swimming, and maybe the death of some other things as well. This one is for trusted patrons only, for the rug merchants, the cigar senders, the oligarchs of the night who support the show on Patreon. This is our little secret. Don't want no more vice deans to get the wrong idea. that way too yeah. yeah yeah but i think oh i was gonna say i think what i was gonna say is that the the key is uh self-awareness is a boring boring point but i think what what i see that what i see freezing people from both sides from the fathers from the parent side and the child side throughout the rebellion for a long time is this weird sort of denial where neither one acknowledges the Inevitable, the reality of what has to happen, or yeah. what had happened, or whatever, 
and, and carries a grudge. And it's this grudge that just destroys people. You yeah. have a grudge against your parents or your children for doing what was inevitable. Yeah. No, I agree. There's also the kind of the kind of changes that are every day and normal now, once upon a time were unthought of. I mean I was I was born into a situation where I don't think anyone in my family knew anyone who had been divorced. My parents, I realized quite early, were begging for a divorce. They never divorced. It was the, the thing that might have saved them. The social barriers to doing it were so great that they couldn't get near it, you know. When you say save them, do you mean simply restored some level of peace or to their individual lives? Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I, I think that um, my father went off and had another life. He had two lives. Okay. My mother didn't do that because, well, because she was a woman and because she didn't have the money to be able to afford it. Uh, I think that if she had done it, she might have had more happiness than she got. Equally, I think if my father had owned up to having two lives and abandoned one of them, mm -hmm his life might have been easier for him. I mean, they were both essentially unhappy people. And um, I now know, my wife and I know, a friend whose child has, a grown-up child, has transed. And it's a very, very difficult situation, you know. And, and um, the mother is very supportive of the child in this situation. But I think it's been an extraordinary ordeal for the mother. I, I don't know the child's point of view. How old is the child? 27, 8 sort of age. And has know? it been recent, uh, or was it an earlier thing that happened? It, the, the real... Change has been recent, recent the last yeah. few years, yeah, and it's on ongoing. I right, mean, right, right. It's, it's not, not a, worked out. It's you know. not an open But um, you know, the, I mean, these things. Uh, the world is a. It's a, a different world. It's a. It's it's a different world, and yet, you know, it's a. It's different, and yet we're never sure how different. How different it's being, and how mad we're being. You know. Well, yeah. That's the thing. There, there you are. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of induced madness, I would say, in the current world. Yes. And it's being sold as natural change. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sold as freedom and freedom. liberty and yeah. all those things. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's part of what Connecticut's about. It, mm -hmm. It's about a mad society. You know? It is about a mad society. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's about um, now. I mean, let's talk about Connecticut and just mix it into the to the to the stew. Um, Connecticut is a, a a world in which you now this is it's more of a it's a different style. Yeah. Than either of them. Oh yeah. It's it's a more linear, if you can call it linear. It is. Yeah. It is. It, it it's a more direct, shorter story. Yeah, the shorter story. Yeah. You're being almost as if you're David Thompson. You're being arrested. <laughs> it's almost me. Almost you. Yes. You're yes. being taken in. And by the way, there's uh, there are I'll you know I'll mention them in when I set up the. In the introduction to this conversation, but there are multiple uh, intimations of madness. I'll have to let me check and see if I have a, a few quotations that I've taken um, in both of the in both Silverlight and in and and in um, Suspects. There is there are intimations of madness. This is building it, and the madness is like you've been living your life through other people's dreams. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the, the great area of film studies that I think gets terribly neglected is that most people go to the movies and have done, always in the history of the medium, to fantasize about being someone else and um, it it's playing with fire um, you know when we're told to be true to thine own self impossible task and challenge but still right. a worth a worthwhile one and the movies uh, the movies are saying, oh, forget that. Uh, you can be a different person every week. You can fall in love with a different woman or a different man every week. Which really was a sort of basic condition of movie going for several decades. Certainly I was a part of it. I mean, my childhood was, and my youth, was deeply affected by that. And. Uh, the book I'm writing at the moment, trying to write, is, is really a book about that sort of fantasy life. Is this the book about the kiss? Hmm? Is this the book about the kiss? No, it's not about the kiss. I, 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 I'm saving that for my old age. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. uh, well, no. I, I wonder if that is a reference to Sleeping with Strangers, but it's... it's well, like, I mean, yeah. they're all connected, you right. know. you. The books you do are all connected, and in a way they're all the same book. But... but I'm, I'm working on a book now, which, which is very much about how I got through life, through the fantasy of movies, but how that damaged me in certain ways. And sometimes I pass the damage on to other people. Uh, and it's, it, it's a very personal book, but it, I mean, let me put it this way. If you meet a real film nut from the person who is in the same seat every show at whatever theater it is, who was in the days when that theater was occupied, to 
Tarantino or Paul Schrader, right. you're dealing with people who are half crazy. Right. And if you're Paul Schrader, you know it. If you're Tarantino, you may not be so sure. But, but you know, we're talking about um, people who are carried away by their self-image. That, for me, is what Donald Trump is about. He's someone who totally got caught up in being a character. And uh, I think at the moment, it's driving him crazy. And I think he's going to break down before he goes to prison. Now, when you say that... When you say that, um, for example... James Elroy yes. is a, knew he was crazy and wasn't so sure. What did the knowing he was? What do you? What was the? How do? How do we? How do you picture him knowing he's crazy? What is a? What is a man who knows he is crazy? In that sense that you said, I don't. It's not about so much about him necessarily individually, but it's like someone who is fiercely independent and creative and yet someone who was at the same time is driven by cultural dream forces and so his life gets in an absolute tangle and I'm not laying this off on James Allroy. Oh no, I know. I didn't want it to be. I'm, I'm you're, a, the, you're the man. I'm, I'm a very good test case <laughs> yeah. of what I'm talking about, <laughs> and, and you know, he's in the clear. He's got good behavior. He's off. Uh, no, it, it, it's, um, and I don't think I'm talking about a particularly unusual condition. Mm-hmm. I, I'm talking about the sort of struggle most people have just to get along, and and. Um, I think the movies have played a weird part in that because, you know, they, they've been a, a factory that produced dream stories for us to inhabit. And um, we got into the, the practice of talking about films as if directors made them, as if, you know, there are not. Yeah. Or the business. Right. They're a mass fantasy. And the audience makes the films because the audience identifies. And for reasons nobody could have predicted in advance, the audience is presented with, I don't know, um, James Dean. Yeah. Julia Roberts and they go crazy. There's something about those people that makes them available to us. Not to everyone, but um, you you see Pretty Woman, which is a ridiculous film, (laughs) and you want her. Right. You see East of Eden, which is a much better film, and if you were that age at that time, you not only did you want to be James Dean, you knew you were, you know, and, and you walked through life as if you were. Now you got over it, right? which may just be that you thought, oh, well, I'll be 
Brad Pitt and how or right, right. Daniel Day Lewis. You find a new model. Yeah. Exactly. But Maybe John Houston. <laughs> John Houston. John Houston. Yeah. But the need for models yeah. and the way in which film presents them in a very attractive, appealing way. Mm. Breathtaking. And the way in which they supplant your father. Well. Or mother. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know. To listen to the rest of this episode and over 50 other patron-only, exclusive, intimate, scandalous adventures, please subscribe now at patreon.com slash filthyarmenian. For as little as $5 a month, even less if you get an annual subscription, you will get access to twice as many episodes uh, as the free feed. And you'll also feel really good because you'll be putting your money where your soul is. So... For this uh, very special second episode, third episode with David Thompson, please subscribe at Patreon and see you on the other side of the paywall. Thank you for listening.